The president of the United States, whose legitimacy as president is already questionable, is behaving like a king. Today we're discussing how to defy the king. I'm Paul Dragu, and this is Freedom is the Cure. So on Thursday, Joe Biden announced he would, through OSHA, mandate that all private businesses with more than 100 employees force its employees to take the COVID-19 shot. This has triggered the righteous ire of anyone with enough sense to see what is happening in America. Simply put, this is tyranny. The radicals in charge are using the mighty coercive power of the mighty United States government to violate your body. So make no mistake about it. This isn't about public health. If it were, there would be more considerations made for the millions of Americans with natural immunity. Remember the COVID case and death ticker that bombarded us every minute of the day in 2020 and into 2021? A recent study from Columbia University estimated that about 31%, 103 million Americans, had COVID by the end of 2020. Again, this is not about public health. We would hear more about natural immunity. This is about compliance, and it's unconstitutional. There's no question about it. And our guest, who has spent 20 years as a trial lawyer, is not only going to confirm that, but we're going to discuss what legal weapons of resistance Americans have. So Robert Owens is not just a resident JD. He is a regional field director for the John Birch Society and the host of the JBS program, Constitution Corner. Robert has also authored two articles in the upcoming edition of the New American Magazine, one titled How to Nullify COVID Vaccine Mandates, the other, If I Don't Want the Jab, What Are My Options? So before getting into the nitty-gritty of constitutional resistance, Robert, can you tell me why, in your expert legal opinion, the latest action from King Biden is unconstitutional? Or am I assuming too much? Is it not unconstitutional? No, no, I don't think you're assuming too much at all. So, you know, what we have to remember is the uh, the federal government has limited and enumerated powers and health, you know, standards is definitely not part of the federal government's job. I mean, you know, maybe there's an argument that states uh, can do some of the things that they can do, uh, although I think even that's debatable you know, really just sort of depends on the state constitutions uh, that uh, that exist. But anything along the lines of what Biden's talk about would properly be described as, uh, quote unquote, police powers. Um, and, and those would all be reserved to the state. So the, the federal government has uh, absolutely no role in that uh, whatsoever. Now, Potentially, does he maybe have, uh, you know, some aspects over, you know, the military as commander in chief, I, I, I suppose there an argument could be made uh, as to, you know, some of his edicts as, uh, as affecting service members and on uh, military bases, but uh, clearly with regard to the general public, absolutely not, no way, shape or form would that be uh, permissible constitutionally. Not even through OSHA. And can you explain what what you perhaps think his 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 line of thought is? Obviously, there was some consultation and someone decided that if we go through OSHA, uh, this may stand. Is that 
is that what you think may ha be happening? Well, I, and you know, the thing is, the, the the courts have gone so far away from the original intent of, of the Constitution. So, you know, just like uh, uh, Roe v. Wade, uh, you know, made made abortion uh, legalized. Um, you know, clearly, I think that was improper, wrong, and should never have happened. Could potentially courts uh, uphold this uh, using OSHA? I, I mean, that's that's a possibility. Uh, I wouldn't necessarily doubt that. And I think that's why it's important for the states to take action. And as uh, as you pointed out, I wrote an article about uh, how states can nullify. Uh, those aspects. And I think that uh, states are well within their rights to say, no, we're not going to allow that to be enforced in our state. Uh, and uh, in fact, that concept is now either pending or planned in 39 states. It's passed in two of them. Um, so I, I, I would look to see that over the next uh, several coming months that uh, we will see significant pushback from many states. And those two states are, are you referring to Florida and Montana? Exactly. Okay. All right. So people are understandably maybe terrified, concerned, whatever you want to call it. Obviously, with this latest edict that, you know, Biden passed down on Thursday, what, where should people start? Uh, say you're, you're a normal person and you live in the, you work in the private sector uh, and you don't want to get the jab for whatever reason. What, where do you begin? Should you quit? No, I, I think that uh, you definitely don't want to do that. Now, I, I should say that, you know, different people have different thoughts on the concept. So uh, if, if you might have uh, read uh, Anne Rand's book, Atlas Shrugged, uh, there was a character in there named John Galt and uh, his response to, you know, government largesse and insanity was just to withdraw from society. Uh, and to take others that were producers with them. Uh, so I, I think that some people are looking at this and saying, well, <laughs> if that's what the employer is going to do, we're out of here and we'll find a, a new job somewhere else. Uh, now, of course, for a lot of people, that's just really not uh, a reality. So they can turn to, uh, interestingly enough, the, the Civil Rights Act of 1964, which, you, you know, I should say we actually opposed back right. in the day because I think there's questionable uh, legitimacy to the constitutionality of that. Uh, however, again, once again, courts uphold it. So we've got a tool, whether we agree it should be a tool or not, doesn't change the fact it is a tool. Uh, and so uh, what people can do is they can use uh, the Religious Exemption Act under the uh, uh, Civil Rights uh, Act uh, for sincerely held religious beliefs. Uh, and then they can also avail themselves of the Americans with Disabilities Act uh, with regard to a medical exemption. So there's definitely a process that's involved in that, Paul. Uh, and in particular, if you're going to use a sincerely held religious belief as uh, an exemption from that, um, you need to make sure that you document that uh, appropriately uh, and then turn that paperwork into the uh, appropriate uh, supervisor and or authority as your employer uh, might uh, describe. Well, you go into deep details as far as I think that's the first example you cite is the, the religious exemption. Now, does this mean you got to go to your bishop or your pastor and you have to get a note or uh, do you do you have to how sincere does this uh, religious uh, conviction have to be? 
Well, it, it definitely has to be a, a quote, sincerely held religious belief. Now, uh, that said, there's no requirement uh, that uh, you have to have like a, a pastor or religious leaders sign off on that. You don't have to be part of a religious order that has a like a long held, uh, you know, anti-vaccine stance to it. Uh, this is a personally held religious belief. And, you know, the courts are not allowed to, you know, essentially doubt your religious convictions. Uh, but in your, and, and, and you have to actually submit something in writing, right? You can't just, you know, casually mention one day to your supervisor, ah, I don't like this thing. It's against my religious beliefs. I mean, you have to put it in writing and, you know, state some basis for it. But, um, you know, the, the courts have ruled that uh, your employer cannot require you to have uh, like a letter from a religious leader or anything like that. Now, that said, I would always recommend that people over document. I mean, over documentation is not going to hurt you. Uh, so if you can easily obtain a letter uh, from a religious leader, I, again, that's not going to hurt you. Uh, so long as it's not, you know, a letter that says, so-and-so's all wet, you know, <laughs> he's <laughs> talked about how he loves these things. And, you know, no, I mean, obviously you wouldn't want uh, to turn that in, but th that's not going to be a requirement that they can enforce. Right. And you do go, or you really emphasize documentation, uh, have copies of what you submit to your supervisors, keep copies for yourself. If somehow that's not necessarily plausible, have screenshots. I mean, you really really dive dive deep into make sure you have this documented part of that example is that it might even help to cite scripture as far as for your support uh, right yeah and, and again it's you don't even have to cite scripture uh right i mean if you're not christian if you're not uh jewish if you're whatever you are uh that's fine uh, but you do have to state some basis and articulate some basis for a, a deeply held religious belief. Uh, what you don't want to do is write a letter saying, you know, uh, you think the science on vaccines is bad or this group is wrong or that group is is wrong about, you know, saying they're OK. Uh, it has to be religious in nature. Uh, so, I mean, there's you know, all kinds of different religious, you know, whether it's Mormon or whatever the case may be, right? I mean, there's there's a basis uh, by which you can uh, bring that uh, letter. Uh, but the documentation, as you point out, Paul, is, is critical because if they deny you, you want to have a copy and proof that mm. you did put this in writing uh, because you can't just file a lawsuit if you are denied on the basis of a religious exemption you have to file a a, a complaint through the eeoc uh and they're going to require you to furnish copies of your paperwork so the uh, eeoc sure the eoc being the equal what is it the equal opportunity yeah the equal employment opportunity commission mm -hmm. um so uh and, and there's timelines on that uh, so uh, the timelines vary depending upon the nature of your employment. Uh, but uh, what I would say is really, if you get denied your exemption, you know, within 10 days, you want to get that file. Don't wait. I mean, the, the deadlines aren't necessarily 10 days, but meanwhile, there's no reason to wait on that 
uh, go ahead and file that uh, immediately. And, and that's a good emphasis. You don't want to make the argument based on your what you think is the science of it. You obviously want to stick to to your religious belief regarding this vaccine. The vaccine is less important in this argument than your religious held belief. Correct. Yes. OK. The other exemption you talk about is a medical exemption. And this seems to be. I believe you say that it is a little tougher to get. Let's talk about the medical exemption. How do you qualify or who should go that route? So unlike the uh, religious exemption, which is just a letter from yourself, you'll actually need to get a healthcare professional to uh, sign off uh, on that uh, letter. Now, uh, there are a, a number of places online where you can get uh, you know, co- more holistic uh, uh, COVID types of uh, treatments. And I would assume that uh, those doctors, they do teleconsults, and they've got licensure in all sorts of different uh, states. And so you can check that uh, out. I think it's called the uh, Frontline COVID Critical Care uh, uh, Group um, in particular. And I know there's a number of others uh, but uh, you can check them out and, uh, you know, do a teleconsult and perhaps get a letter uh, along those lines. Um, it particularly helps if you have a medical condition that is, um, you know, a, a known contraindication for the vaccine. And, and there are many. With regard to the medical exemption, what you're going to want to do is uh, get a letter from a, uh, a medical provider. Uh, and to the extent that they can link your medical indication to uh, some of the known contraindications of the vaccine, that improves uh, the, the source of that medical letter. And there are many that are common. So for example, by being diabetic uh, would be an example, uh, being pregnant uh, or uh, obese, even if you're, uh, you're overweight, that's, uh, that's an exemption. Uh, being a, a smoker or even a past smoker uh, is also a contraindication uh, as well. And there are many, there's a, there's a long list of them. So to the extent that they can be tied to that, uh, then you're even in better shape. But uh, getting a, a letter, preferably from a doctor, even from a nurse practitioner is probably fine to put into your file uh, would be uh, what's necessary in, uh, in that regard. Now, it's possible to have both a religious exemption letter and a medical exemption letter. That's fine. You know, over documentation uh, is, is not a problem. Um, and, and again, just because I can't emphasize it enough, keeping copies of your documentation and specifically keeping copies where like you can access them such that if you're terminated, you know, they're not like on your computer at work. Cause that's not going to do you a lot of good. Like, have copies of those things at home, and uh, then you'll be in a position to um, have those uh, uh, should you need them, uh, because if you need to file with the EEOC, uh, that's something that uh, you're going to have to uh, produce copies of that uh, of your exemption letters. So what do you do if these exemptions, your exemption is denied? Legally, they have to... Uh, give you a reasonable accommodation. So a couple things can happen. One, they can outright deny it. Two, they can give you an accommodation that would not be 
uh, reasonable. And if it's something that's really impairing uh, your ability to work or uh, essentially they're taking adverse action, like not giving you a, a promotion or uh, assigning you different hours or different tasks uh, based on uh, your accommodation request, those are situations when, where you can then file a com complaint with the EEOC. So the first thing that I would do, quite honestly, is I would seek out a local legal counsel in, uh, in that regard. And, and I think that would be the first step. Now, uh, one alternative, if you can't find a, a local lawyer, uh, would be to look up something like Liberty Council, and they are handling a, a lot of legal cases uh, for folks, but I, I think they're also somewhat swamped. So yeah. um, I'd imagine this is a busy time for them. Yes, it uh, it is. Uh, it, it sure is. And uh, but, you know, they're they're also making a name for themselves in the process. So that's uh, fantastic and, and more power to them. Uh, and I should say, as an aside for template letters and exemplars of, you know, something to help get you going on writing your uh, mm -hmm. own religious exemption letter. Liberty Council has a number of examples. I want to emphasize that you don't really want to just clip and paste um, those, those letters as you create your own, because that would undermine the aspect of this being a sincerely held religious belief. Uh, make the letter your own, but at least you can use uh, their templates as, you know, a basis of a suggestion or at least a starting point. Mm -hmm. uh, to uh, to get rolling on it. But uh, you want to have counsel uh, right away, uh, legal counsel, because sometimes, you know, facts uh, uh, can be specialized depending upon the nature of your employment. Um, but one of the things you're definitely going to want to do is timely file with the EEOC. You can do that online. Uh, you'll have to submit documentation. And uh, so if, if they tell you that, uh, your uh, exemption is being denied, make sure to get that in writing uh, and, and ask them to specify the exact reasons why it's being denied as well. Um, and uh, if they fail to give you exact reasons, that's only going to really help your case uh, from, from that regard because uh, there, uh, you know, an argument can be made that they're just simply being arbitrary in their refusals. Now, does this work? Do we have uh, do you have examples? Have you heard of people using these exemptions and, and actually being effective? Yeah. So these exemptions, I mean, th these exemptions have uh, been around for a long time uh, and uh, with regard to you know, other vaccines in the past. So uh, there's a, a number of, of court cases that exist on vaccine exemptions, not necessarily this one in particular, the mRNA vaccine, but uh, other vaccines. Um, and in fact, there was a court case where a lady uh, had asked for an exemption from the vaccine, really based on anxiety as much as anything else uh, over, over getting it. And she had two doctor's notes saying, yeah, these aren't a good idea for her because of her anxiety. Uh, her employer denied that she filed with the EEOC. Uh, they denied her. Uh, she took it to federal court and a federal judge ruled in her favor and said, no, she was uh, improperly denied an appropriate accommodation uh, based on the fact that uh, her anxiety 
you know, really prevented her from getting these vaccines uh, to begin with. Um, so th there's other lit litigation that's still uh, ongoing and pending. A lot of that has to do with uh, the fact that uh, the vaccines were being mandated while they were still subject to an EUA or an emergency use authorization. Um, however, it should be noted that uh, the exemptions for sincerely held religious beliefs and medical exemptions, both under Title VII of the Civil Rights Act and the Americans with Disabilities Act, it doesn't matter if it's an EUA or full authorization. Uh, that's not even part of the equation. Okay, so let's move on to the legislative front. Your other article, How to Nullify COVID Vaccine Mandates, you mentioned Michigan's HB 4471, also known as the Informed Consent in the Workplace Act. And uh, it seems like you're talking about it as a template for what others can and should do. Can you go into that a little bit? Yeah, sure. So uh, we have uh, similar uh, legislation pending in Ohio and, uh, and Pennsylvania as well. And as I say, actually, 39 states have uh, something similar or planned uh, throughout. Some of them just speak to the vaccine uh, during its EUA phase. So uh, now that some of these things are looking at uh, fast tracking uh, approval, I, I would definitely recommend trying to make sure that your state rep or state senator makes an amendment uh, to include, even if it's subject to full uh, authorization uh, by the FDA. Uh, but simply it would say this, that uh, under state law, uh, no employee shall be subject to a vaccine mandate from the mRNA uh, uh, vaccine. And no employer is allowed to require uh, any documentation that you have already gotten uh, such a vaccine, nor allowed, are they allowed to take any adverse uh, action against you. Now, if something like that is passed, then you don't even need a religious exemption or a medical exemption, just as a function of state law, you would not be required and employers would not be allowed to mandate uh, that as, uh, as being part of the uh, uh, process for employment. So HB 4471 passed in Michigan? Even it's still it's still pending. OK. And I mean, they have they have a pretty radical governor over there. Uh, there's probably a good chance it won't pass. Right. Well, I think it'll probably uh, pass through the legislature now that the governor may uh, veto it. Uh, however, what I think politicians are starting to see is that. Uh, any action like vetoing a bill like that or standing in opposition to a bill like that uh, is going to be extremely unpopular and not just with Republicans. Th this is an issue that is starting to cut across uh, party lines, even with their own base. Uh, we're seeing that uh, these issues of, uh, uh, of the mRNA vaccine um, really are, are bipartisan concerns. Uh, so I, I think that as this continues to develop, as the science continues to uh, come out, people are starting to realize this is has some very troubling concerns to it. And so uh, uh, people are taking action on both sides. Now, whether or not there's sufficient you know, political will to even do an, a, a veto override, uh, that remains to be seen. However, I can tell you in Ohio, we've got a... Uh, a rascal of a governor in Mike DeWine, uh, who 
even though he has a R by his name, there's very little evidence to suggest that he's conservative uh, in any way, shape, or form, and certainly not a constitutionalist in any way, shape, or form. Um, and in fact, when he tried to exercise his emergency powers, the legislature cut him off. He vetoed that, and, uh, and his veto was overridden by tremendous popular support uh, to do that. So uh, I, I think that any governors or any politicians that stand away in their way of this uh, mm -hmm. do so at extreme political peril. How do we put pressure? I mean, there's people listening and uh, what what else can we do? I mean, all the way from from the county down to even even the city level. Uh, what, yeah. what can folks do? This is definitely going to be a, a major grassroots uh, push that comes into play. So the first thing that I would highly recommend is is being involved in the John Birch Society. Um, so uh, at JBS.org, if you're not already a member, uh, you can sign up there. Uh, and, and that allows you, rather than just sort of acting as an individual, to act as a team. Uh, and you can get a lot more accomplished as a team than you can as an individual. Regardless of the case, it, there's a couple things that you want to do. One, uh, get informed and, and understand uh, the, the actual science uh, behind it and uh, real uh, issues and concerns and be weary of uh, things that even though they you know sound like they're on our side aren't in fact accurate so uh, like an example there's a story going around about uh, a dozen f-22 pilots that just walked off the job because the secretary of defense ordered that they get the vaccine by 10 a.m tomorrow or something like that and, and all of that is is nonsense none of that is is true. And so when you say things that are just simply not true, it, it discredits you. So uh, be weary of that. Uh, so getting good information is, is important. And uh, from there, I would say start with um, things like the New American Magazine, uh, both in print, online, and uh, on our uh, various media channels as well, on, on both YouTube and probably Rumble, because uh, we're getting censored a lot uh, on YouTube. Uh, Dr. Lee Merritt uh, is a, a well-known medical doctor with fantastic credentials, um, and you can see some of her videos. There's uh, another doctor actually out of the Cleveland area named Sherry Tenpenny. Uh, mm -hmm. She's got some terrific information. So, so first get informed on the issue so you know what you're talking about. Um, I just did an article that summed up uh, a number of the testimonies from uh, the various medical experts that testified in Michigan. Uh, and uh, all of that stuff is tremendous. And many of those uh, witnesses also have statements that they've issued online uh, and uh, on video as well. So make sure to get actual good information. That's, that's, you know, the starting point. Then it's important to, you know, not only just be calling your elected representatives yourself, but uh, really empower your neighbors to do so as well. So one of the things that the John Birch Society has talked about at length is called the 110-6 program. And I think for this issue, that is a tremendous way to really be involved in pushing this legislation through. So 100 means personally take responsibility for influencing 100 households. 
and I think you get the most bang for the buck by actually, you know, influencing people that vote, for example, and in particular people that vote in primaries. Uh, so you can go to your local board of elections. Uh, they will have for you something called a walking list. If you give them your address, they'll let you know what precinct you're in, and then they'll give you a walking list, even of just people that are primary voters uh, with a history of voting in the primaries. Uh, and then start getting some of that good information and uh, uh, the articles that, uh, you know, we reference about uh, like how to nullify and what's going on in Michigan. That's being, I, I believe, done uh, in the uh, October 4th edition of the, uh, the print uh, uh, New American. It's also online, so you can get copies of that and download them, uh, make copies of that article. Uh, and then start going around to uh, your neighbors on that uh, list of, of people that you've created, giving them that information and encouraging them to contact their state reps uh, as well. So I, I, I think that's, you know, a fantastic way to start so that it's not just you that's calling your state reps, but also getting 100 households uh, uh, behind you as well. Uh, so that's 110 is uh, 10 opinion molders. Uh, so uh, on these, we're talking about things like your county commissioner, uh, township trustee, city council member, religious leaders. Make sure to you know, put together a list of 10 of these people that you can access, uh, make appointments with them and get them that information and encourage them to take action as well. And, and they're going to usually have a fairly significant um, you know, a list of, of people that they uh, influence as well. Uh, and so if you can get them on board with this subject, uh, that will really advance the ball. And then lastly, six is, you know, recruit six people to be involved with you in uh, uh, doing the same type of program. And if you can personally influence 100 households, if you can personally uh, get 10 opinion molders to work on this as well, then if you can recruit six other people that will also influence uh, 100 people, will also uh, influence uh, 10 uh, opinion molders and will recruit six more people on their own, why very quickly, uh, Paul, we're going to see a resolution to this thing favorably. Well, this is this is how it's done. And I, I think for some people, it's hard to see because if you're wrapped up in just just regular media, major media, whatnot, it seems like there's there's no way around it. But let's remember that during the first wave, there was a whole lot of nullification happening. Right. Um, I was living in Montana at the time. I think almost a huge majority of sheriffs uh, had a resolution or had a uh, declare that they are not going to be the masking police. And so now we are in the second or third wave, whatever wave we are. In, uh, it, it seems to be ramping up, obviously. And I, I, I don't know if you've heard, but there is I can see here on the Cleburne County Sheriff's Office in Arkansas, there was a presser out and where the sheriff in the middle says, I'm appalled that some of the absolute dictator like things we are seeing from the federal government. And he goes on to say this is absolute tyranny and completely abhorrent. And then he finishes off and he says, it's time for our politicians and other public service to stand up and remember that their first responsibility is to protect people's rights, not to run their lives. I think I would think and correct me if I'm wrong, but that seems like the sort 
the sheriff is a, an opinion molder, I would say. Right. And he gets to, yeah. to he's kind of the gatekeeper of enforcement as well. Uh, I would say this is an example of what can happen and should happen everywhere. Right. No question about it. And uh, yeah, I, I was remiss to not include the uh, the sheriff or local chief of police on that process. And in fact, Paul, that's one of the reasons why the John Birch Society has had your support your local police and keep them independent is to emphasize us creating relationships uh, with those individuals and reminding them, especially the sheriff, that constitutionally he is the chief law enforcement officer in his jurisdiction. Uh, and uh, this is not a function of he does the bidding of the federal government, but when it comes to his jurisdiction, any federal agents need to come to him first and say, pretty please, may we? Uh, and, and it's his job to guard the, uh, the rights and the uh, freedoms of the uh, citizens in his jurisdiction and to be able to say, uh, no, you may not, if that's <laughs> the case. Uh, and certainly on these issues, that's a, a key critical component of it. All right. Well, Robert, I really appreciate your time. Is uh, any last words before uh, we left folks with a lot, a lot of uh, practical actions they could take uh, this. This calls for that. It, it's especially crazy time. And I want to thank you for your time. Any last words? Uh, yeah, Paul, uh, what I would say is this. We need to remember that freedom is not a spectator sport. If you are going to sit on your couch and you're going to bellyache and complain and watch Fox News or uh, MSNBC and say, oh, this is terrible and, and, and not actually do anything about it. Uh, all I can say is shut up. Uh, you're not doing any good. Uh, so if, if this means anything to you, understand it's time to get busy. It's time to get active. If you are not sure what that looks like from practical sense, go to jbs.org, get involved, and we will have leaders that will help you put rubber on the road in a practical sense uh, getting this thing done. But uh, this is not a time to sit around in your sofa and bellyache. Uh, this is not even a time for eat, meet, and retreat uh, mm -hmm. meetings where we can all feel good about saying how terrible this is without any practical action involved. This is an action this day. That means getting off your sofa, getting off your butt, actually talking to people, influencing folks, and getting, uh, getting things moving. Um, and, and even if you are in a situation where, say, you're medically unable to leave the house, well, you know what? You can still be making phone calls. You can still be uh, getting educated. You can still be influencing people. But uh, for the most part, yeah, you can get out and walk your neighborhood. So shut up uh, about the belly aching and complaining and be part of the solution. That's the only way it'll be done. I, I, it's, it's so important to emphasize that, you know, at JBS.org, as you continue to mention, is we, we have uh, several resources. We have a COVID tyranny action project. We have uh, legislative alerts that keep you up to date to what's happening. Um, and then there's the New American, as Robert had mentioned, which is a great resource for information. Uh, a lot for what a lot of folks, it starts there. It starts out with, with knowing what's actually happening. You know, major media has not reported on just a litany of adverse effects. And Robert, you go into some of those. You go into some of the testimony. You go, you you actually smash some of the stereotypes. For instance, uh, one of the ones that you mentioned is that. One of the most affected or the vaccine hesitant communities is the black community. And part of that includes the history 
uh, of the federal government against uh, the black community. They have every reason to be suspicious. And you won't hear that. Uh, but we, we report that. And most importantly, as you had mentioned at JBS, the JBS, we are an active uh, organization. It's not just about knowing, then it's about getting organized, but doing so effectively within the confines of the Constitution. So I want to thank you, Robert, for your time. I want to thank you for, for everything that you're doing. You heard it there, folks, and go to JBS.org if you have any questions. There's a way to get a hold of uh, contact the coordinator. There's plenty of information we make available, all sorts of ways that you can get in the know and get active. Thanks, Robert. Hey, thanks, Paul. Have a great day. You too, man. Have you ever heard someone say, the system's broken? Sure you have. Well, it's not true. America's founders created a brilliant governing system that prevents us from having kings, queens, dictators, and even czars. We the people can replace every elected official in a span of six years if we so choose. Here at the John Birch Society, we believe the only way to liberty, prosperity, and national sovereignty is not only understand what's in our founding documents, but demand that every elected official adheres to them. The reason we have a ballooning, reckless, and corrupt government is because elected officials aren't following the Constitution. The John Birch Society is principled, coordinated, effective activism. We believe the Constitution is the solution. Join JBS and change America. Visit JBS.org or call 1-800-JBS-USA1 to get involved. That's JBS.org.